Well, good morning. We want to welcome each and every one of you this morning to Paradise Valley Christian Church. It's so great to get together as the body of Christ, welcoming you those online uh, with Outpost Christian Church. Thanks for being with us this morning. And uh, again, as we continue to be the church, I'm just so thankful for each and every one of you. Each and every one of you play a vital, important role to the furthering of the kingdom as we are reminded each week as we look up at imagining more, thinking about that concept of what God wants to do in our lives as a church, thinking about uh, even without post-Christian church, how that was imagined and maybe was more than what we could imagine you know, a year or two ago, and yet uh, those services are meeting down there in Douglas, and, and there's other ministries that take place because we're willing to trust and put our faith in God, and so moving forward as a church, as we look here, coming to the end of 2021, the last few months, I'm praising God that we've seen uh, 14 baptisms in 2021, and I'm praying that God would continue to work through us as a congregation to reach the lost for Him, and so I'm grateful for you and what you mean to this body of believers, so thank you for being here today as we dive into the Word of God. And so we're going through, uh, again, series through the Gospel according to Mark. We're into chapter 6. And so we are looking at chapter 6 of Mark today. And the message is entitled, Down But Not Out. Down But Not Out. We all know the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. And if you look at the passage from Mark chapter 6 today, you see that taking place in Jesus' life. As he makes his way back to his hometown of Nazareth. And I, I wonder, did any of you grow up with uh, anybody that went on to be really famous? A, a famous person? Anybody? Uh, I, I personally didn't really have anybody in my life. I had a, a, a kid that was a year younger than me in school. And uh, the Faxons uh, had heard of him as well because he went to Washington State and played football there and was a quarterback. And his name was Matt Kegel, but he wasn't overly famous. He had a cousin, though, that came from Great Falls, Montana, which is about two hours away. And his name was uh, Ryan Leaf. And Ryan played for Washington State, but then also went on and uh, played in the NFL. I didn't know Ryan Leaf. He didn't spend much time in the NFL. Uh, and so that was about as close as I got to anybody growing up that was kind of famous, but for the most part, none of my friends became anyone famous, and I wonder, though, if any of them had become famous, kind of how that would, that reaction, like, how would I would react to that? How, how would that go? How would my interactions with a friend that I grew up with that later became famous would go? And, and so in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, we have Jesus returning to his hometown as a little bit of a celebrity, and there are mixed reviews taking place. And you can imagine the Nazareth Times that Sunday, the front page of the story was, you know, local boy makes good, right? And you have a, maybe a following, a report of all the miracles that Jesus had been performing. And yet in this passage, I wonder why there was any sort of problem. Because we see that unfold in the verses that we're going to read this morning. And so we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, we're humbled to gather in your presence to acknowledge how great you are. And this life is, is so meaningless without you. In fact, Scripture tells us that, that all the amazing things that take place in this life that we get to experience or be a part of, uh, they become meaningless because one day we're going to get to spend eternity 
And, and my prayer is, it, it's with you. And if, it's, if we're separated from you, God, I pray that we would get right with you here on this earth because separation for eternity from you is the worst thing that we could ever begin to imagine. And so, God, I pray for those who might come to know you through this message. I pray that it might be a link and a chain that directs them and, and connects them with you. And God, help us to be the church that you've called each one of us to be as we make a difference in the lives of the people around us. It's the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. If you are willing and able this morning, will you turn to Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Will you stand with me this morning as we read from the word of God. Verse 1 says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in, in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay the, his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. You may be seated. As I was going through these verses, trying to come up with a way to help you remember some of what's going on in this passage, as I looked at it, I find this idea of, yes, rejection. There is rejection, but then no regrets. And finally, yes, responsibility. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I encourage you to write down is, yes, rejection from the first six verses here in chapter 6 of Mark. Mark tells us that Jesus and his entourage of, of disciples have made their way back to Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. And then on the Sabbath day, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. And we're told that members of the congregation heard him begin to preach and they were amazed, just as many of you each and every Sunday are probably amazed when I get up here and preach, right? That's right, amen. And that's a little bit of a joke. But in all actuality, this amazement is probably more in the lines of, like, if my Sunday school teacher, who, who like, every other week kicked me out of Sunday school, if they were here and they heard me preach, that's kind of probably the amaze, like, whoa, this guy can, he actually turned out all right type of thing. And, and that's a little bit, I think, of what is going on here with Jesus. There's a lot of people that knew Jesus from a little child, and, and they'd seen him grow up, and they're wondering, like, how, how, where is he getting this wisdom? Like, they can't believe it is Jesus who is saying these things. And, and they say to one another, like, isn't this the carpenter? 
Like, isn't this Mary's son and, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And, and so they're just kind of like, what's, what's going on here? And, and I want us to notice from what's taking place in these verses that there's going to be times when people that knew you from a young age growing up, that they're going to have a hard time hearing from you when it comes to a relationship with Jesus. Because maybe... Before you knew Jesus, you were a completely different person in the sense that, you know, maybe you didn't really live a life that was pleasing to God. And so you, there's these friends and families that, you know, Jesus is trying to reach out to, and it's not really going that smoothly for him. The reference to Jesus as the son of Mary can be seen as a derogatory way of referring to Jesus. And, and the reason is this, in, in the first century, sons were referred to as being in reference to their fathers, okay? And so for them to associate Jesus with his mother would be a direct insult on Jesus' character, his honor, and in first century culture, hinting at one who was conceived illegitimately. So we must remember also in these verses that for these people... In their minds, Jesus was this, this young boy who grew up in Nazareth, and he, he left kind of alone as a carpenter, and he's returning with a group of followers as a rabbi. It's also important to note that when Jesus left town, some of the folks, you know, they probably frowned upon the fact that he was leaving in the first place. If you remember when Jesus, that Jesus was the eldest, he was the oldest son there. And in that culture, if the father passes away, which we, we don't find any reference to Joseph, so most likely Joseph has, has died at this point. And so you have the oldest son, Jesus, you know, leaving town. In fact, he was supposed to be the son that was supposed to stick around because he was the oldest to make sure everything was taken care of, that he was providing for the family if the, if the head of the family, the father, had passed away. And so Jesus may have been viewed by some as the son who shirked his family duties and responsibilities by leaving the family kind of high and dry to fend for themselves. His neighbors were probably not too eager to welcome this deserting, self-proclaimed prophet back into their circle of friends. And again, for us this morning, the truth is of the matter is that when it comes to our lives, if we've really been transformed by Jesus, we're probably going to deal with those of, that knew us from a young age. And, and there's going to be times where those people... They're not really going to want to have anything to do with hearing about your Jesus. The people in Jesus' hometown, they didn't like what Jesus had to say. If you look at this Mark account, we don't really see from Mark's account what really flamed the controversy, right? He, he does kind of give you know, us some impression that whatever Jesus was teaching, it didn't know, sit real well with everybody in the context. And we read how the Nazarenes responded, like, where did this guy get these things? You know, they asked, well, what's this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And then it says, and they took offense at him. They didn't really want to hear what he had to say. Well, what was it 
in Jesus' teaching that got everybody so worked up. Well, the neat part is we can go to other accounts of this. In parallel passage from the gospel according to Luke, Luke tells us more about the controversy. So if you want to turn over there, in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, it says, He, Jesus, again, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, He, Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. As you read that, you wonder, well, what's the big controversy? Those seem like pretty important things to be doing. You know, preaching good news to the poor, uh, proclaiming freedom to the prisoners, sight to the blind. All those things sound great. And I think the key comes into this very last part of chapter 4 and verse 21 where it says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And for those at that time, they knew what Jesus was saying by today this is being fulfilled because this Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 and 2 passage is a messianic passage. This is prophecy of the Messiah to come. It would kind of be like me showing up this morning and say, hey, I'm here to preach the good news to you, to help you that are, that are in bondage to be freed. I'm going to help you, with, you know, if you're spiritually blind to, to receive sight because I am the Messiah. Whoa, which I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying that. I am not, all right? But that's what Jesus was saying because he was. But everybody that heard that, whoo, I can imagine just the hair on the back of people's necks being like, who does this guy think he is? Because the Jews at that time, we all know that they were looking for an earthly Messiah, right? God's deliverer was, he was supposed to be the one that was going to come and release them from this political oppression from the Romans. And so in, in their minds, they thought, how can this hometown boy who's claiming to be the Messiah really be the Messiah? That, there's, that's not right. Jesus is, is claiming to be the one whom these prophets were talking about, the, the, these prophecies foretold. And again, in their minds of these people, Jesus can't be that guy. He's, he's little Jesus that grew up in Nazareth. And the people were rejecting Jesus because to them, he was just one of them. And the message that he was proclaiming, they didn't like it. It didn't line up with what they wanted. And once again for us, you are going to have people reject you because they can't see past the old you. And the gospel message that you are sharing, it, it kind of conflicts from the lives that they're living. They, they don't want to hear about this Jesus that requires them to live differently. 
And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, that I believe we live in a world that, that they, a lot of people want a Savior, but very few people want a Lord. Because the awesome part about the good news is that Jesus has come to save us from our sins, but it also requires us to surrender everything over to him, to allow him to rule in our lives. He's, Jesus is facing rejection but the rejection at Jesus' hometown synagogue did not hinder the mission for long. In fact, as you look in these verses, it kind of maybe motivated the commissioning of the twelve for their first assignment. See, this was why Jesus had chosen twelve in chapter 3. And since that point, they were preparing for their own mission. In chapter 4, Jesus taught about what the kingdom of God is like providing private instruction for them. In chapter 5, Jesus performed miraculous rescuing acts for them to witness. And yet, just before he sends them out, the mission experiences unexpected rejection. And I can't help but wonder if it maybe was so that they could really get an indication of what was to be expected as they go out and proclaim the good news. Because the reality is, church, that as you go out and you be light into the darkness, there's going to be a lot of people that don't really want to hear what you have to share. Even though it's good news in our lives, it's something that requires a change completely maybe in theirs. And they don't want to listen to that. And as you look in here in verse 5, says he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And as I read those words, I, I thought maybe that's a little confusing. I, I don't think it's this idea that he couldn't because somehow all the power left him. But I think it's really more this idea of basically Jesus chose to not do any miracles among them. Because for, for sure, it, it wasn't because he wasn't able to. He was still able to. He didn't all of a sudden lose you know, his power and connection to his father. He didn't all of a sudden lose his divine wisdom and mercy that was his. Not at all. But what he realized was that there was nothing that he was going to be able to do that was really going to make a difference. Because he knew that his reputation there in Nazareth was, he couldn't outrun it. Only in his hometown is a prophet without honor. And so, yes, rejection. There's going to be rejection as we share the truth of the, the good news of Jesus. But there's also no regrets here in these verses. We see that if you read verse 7 through 11, the last part of 6 says, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Verse 7, Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. And so this idea of no regrets uh, I don't know, you know, when it comes to the no regrets, I wonder if this person had any regrets getting this tattoo. If you can't quite read that, that says no 
regrets. That's what that says there. Even though I think it's supposed to say no regrets, I'm guessing they had the regret that the tattoo artists didn't quite know how to spell regrets. And so no regrets there on the screen. And, and this word regret means a feeling of sadness, re repentance, or disappointment over something that has happened or been done. And as you look at Jesus and as he's interacting with his hometown family and friends, people that knew him, I'm sure that he was saddened and disappointed over their response. But he wasn't saddened and disappointed over sharing the truth of the gospel message. He never, he never shied away from that. He knew that his responsibility here on this earth was to have no regrets and to give it all for the, the glory of God the Father. And so Jesus had no regrets when it came to the truth of the message that he was sharing, the, the message that he is the Son of God and that he is the promised Messiah. He had no regrets in the plan to send out his followers to share that message. Jesus doesn't allow one setback to prevent his mission. So they move on in just one simple line. The text says, and then they went on to other villages. And as they're going, Jesus begins to send out the twelve. He'd been preparing his disciples. He'd been teaching them. He'd been training them. And now he sends them out two by two into the villages to make a difference. And notice that he, he didn't send them out all by themselves, all alone, but he sent them out with a partner. And as I thought through that about my ministry, man, I've been so blessed to have my wife, Autumn, for 20 years by my side doing ministry together. To be able to go out and together have an impact for this world. And Jesus wants us to, to find someone who can go out and we can do ministry alongside them. And it can be a spouse, but it, it doesn't have to be a spouse. It can just be a, a friend in the faith. Someone that you call up and go out and do ministry together and, and have an impact in this world. And Jesus wants us to realize that we're not to be on our own, lone rangers, when it comes to, the, to the, the work of the kingdom of God. We need to do kingdom work with fellow believers and not only do we have each other to depend on, but as you read here, he, he says it gives them power. We, we have the Holy Spirit that's promised to us, that, who gives us power and authority over the evil in this world. When Jesus sent out his disciples, they weren't divine superheroes that they were special, you know, had special powers and abilities because of themselves. They were men empowered and called by Jesus men like you and I today and, and I look at what's taking place in these verses and I, I say this is us isn't it I, I mean the these what's being described here it's us Jesus has been preparing teaching and training us in every single day of our lives he's saying go make a difference for the kingdom of God Make the most of today. Take the Holy Spirit and grab a buddy and go and do something eternal in this life. Something that's going to have an eternal impact. And he charged them to, to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money. 
You know, you can wear a tunic, a tunic, but don't take an extra one. And you can wear sandals. And he sent them out and said, don't take any extra provision. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. Don't let all the things of, of getting, you know, weighed down. And I'm an overpacker. You know, I, I go to, to camp for a week, and I was like, well, what if it's cold? What if it's really hot? Or, you know, and so I have this suitcase, that, and even at 41 years old, I just, like, overpack heading to camp. And I wonder, you know, how often do we overpack in this life when it comes to spiritual things? Like, oh, no, I can't go do anything yet for you, God. I'm still getting ready. I still got to pack up. You know, and the truth is, Jesus is saying, hey, just get out there, all right? I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. Don't worry about if you have this, this, that, that. Just go out and do something for the kingdom. Stop being so focused on the earthly that you miss the eternal. Because it's not about what you can do. It's not about what you bring to the table. It's about Jesus, Amen. It's all about Jesus, because you look at this ver- these verses, who prepared them for the trip? Who called them and sent them? Well, it was Jesus. Well, who sent them out two by two? Who empowered them? Who gave them the task and ability over the evil spirits? Well, it was Jesus. Well, who instructed them? Who, who had been training them and preparing them for the service they were going to do? Once again, it was Jesus. And that Jesus that sent them out is the same Jesus that sends us out. If you look at verse 10, it says, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the town. And the Matthew 10 account says, Search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. And other translations say, Search for a religious person. But I like this idea of worthy Someone that's going to be like-minded. Someone that's going to be there along the way to encourage you. And I wonder, as I was thinking about this, would the disciples be able to stay at my house? Would the disciples be able to stay at your house? Like, would we fall into the worthy category? If you notice, he doesn't say, find the most expensive home or the one that provides the best food or the most comfortable bed, right? He says, find a home that's worthy of you and the message that you carry to be in that home. And in that day and age, a lot of people would travel and they'd show up in a town and whatever door opened for them, they would stay there until a better door opened, right? Until someone else's house that was a better house that they could move on. And what Jesus is getting at, he's saying, don't be so tied to the physical and what benefits you physically, but care about the spiritual, Like, when you go into someone's home that's worthy, they might not have the nicest home, but are you making the most of that time with that person? Are you really there for them, and are they allowed to be there for you? Stop worrying about how you can benefit from a friendship. Like, I know there's times where, oh, yeah, I really like this friend. And and that happened to me in college. I was 18 years old. And we had friends that were in their 20s, late 20s. They had established jobs. And they would invite us over to their home. And we'd go over and they would provide the food. And they would provide the entertainment. We had a great time. It It was great fun being friends with those individuals. Because I benefited from them. But am I going to a place where I can be a benefit to others? Am I interacting with people, whether 
they can benefit me or not? Am, am I reaching out? And so I, I think that's really what he's getting at in verse 10, where it says, you know, just cherish those relationships, the ones that are going to be able to benefit you spiritually. And verse 11 says, And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. See, there are going to be times when you share Jesus with someone and they don't want anything to do with your Jesus. And I don't know if you've experienced that, but for me, it hurts. Especially if they're your family or your friends, close relatives. You feel down just like Jesus, you might be down, but you're not out. You might be down for a time, but you're not out. And, and Jesus says, shake the dust off and move on. If you've done all that you can do and you're just wasting your time, spinning your wheels, wasting God's time because they won't listen to, and that they won't respond at all, then don't feel guilty moving on to someone who is willing to listen. And now this doesn't mean, I'm not saying that it just gives you a free you know, pass to just stop praying for them. No, we continue to pray for those people. It doesn't mean that you get to be rude to them. It, it just simply means that as you experience rejection in this life, don't let it get you down. Don't let it get you down. Be willing to move on to the next person who might just be the person that God wants you to speak to. And it makes all the difference in that person's life. So yes, there will be rejection, but we have to live with no regrets because as disciples of Jesus, we have responsibilities. Yes, responsibilities. Verses 12 and 13, it almost seems like it's just kind of the last little bit of this, and yet there's so much life application in these verses. But I'm just going to quickly touch on these. Verse 12 and 13 they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. You see, if we're going to be the disciples Jesus is calling us to be, then we have to follow through on some responsibilities. We must be willing to go out, as it says, to call people to repentance, as it says. To push back the darkness and meet people's needs. Those are the things that I see in these two verses. Those are the concepts that are taking place as, as we read they went out. We, we have to go beyond these walls if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be. And we have to be willing to preach that people should repent. And, and when we say preach, it doesn't mean go stand necessarily on a, a, a crate at the corner. But it means calling people to repentance. Proclaiming the good news that, hey, if you're in a life that just seems to be falling apart, I have the good news of Jesus. He can change all that. If you're willing to repent and turn around to change your mind, that changes your life. Because Jesus can change everything about who you are. And so calling people to repentance. And, and then I just this idea of pushing back the darkness. It says they drove out many demons. And maybe we don't spend our Friday nights just out driving out demons out of people. But are we willing to live out our faith to the point where we are light into the darkness of a Friday night scenario, wherever that might be in your life? Are, are we being the light that pushes back the darkness 
And then those last verses, and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And to me, the concept there is this idea of meeting people's needs. Meeting their needs. If you feel like these verses kind of seem like they only apply to those people at that time, I would ask you, why? Why, why would you think that? I mean, what responsibilities did the disciples at that time have that are any different than the responsibilities that we have today? I mean, I see the very same things that need to happen today that they were doing at that time. We see, we must be willing to go outside of these walls if we're going to reach people for Jesus. We must be willing to call them to a changed life in repentance. We must be willing to live out our faith as we push back the darkness. And we must be willing to show people the love of Jesus as we address their physical and spiritual needs. So God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit and the encouragement of the body of Christ And so my challenge as we close this morning is let's get out there and live out the responsibilities that Jesus has set before us. So as the praise team comes, I just want us to really think about these responsibilities as disciples of Jesus. How does that really apply in my life? And I read read a story this past week where a man made a decision to give his life to Jesus and he was baptized at the age of 27. When he was 31 years of age, he taught a class of middle school guys in Sunday school. And at that time, it had not occurred to him that he could win a lost soul or that he was even obligated to win others to Jesus. He did not even know who the lost in his class were. One day, a class member, a great kid, 14 years of age, was tragically killed by lightning. And in the home, just a few minutes before the funeral, the the teacher asked the father of the boy who passed away, are you a Christian? And the father answered, not a good one. I was a member of a church before moving here six years ago, but haven't gone to church since. And then the teacher asked, well, was your boy a Christian? And the question startled the father, and he answered, I don't, I don't know. Uh, do, do you know? The teacher was startled too and answered, no, I do not. And I wonder how many people do we interact with day in and day out. We have no clue where they're at and in a, a relationship with Jesus, if they have one at all. And I really think that we need to know where people are in their relationship with Jesus so that we can help them move and grow when it comes to Jesus in their life? Are we actually being the disciples that Jesus is calling us to be? Are we willing to go out? Are we willing to to share repentance? Are we willing to push back the darkness and care enough for people to meet their physical needs, but then also to meet their spiritual needs? In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation, a song of commitment, and you're going to have an opportunity to respond to the message of God's word this morning. And maybe you're here this morning hearing the good news of Jesus and what he can do in your life for the very first time. And you want to hear more about that, I would encourage you to come. I'd love to talk with you. And maybe you've been coming for a long time and you just know that you're ready to go all in with Jesus. That you want to make Jesus not only your savior, but the Lord of your life. 
to receive the free gift of grace and forgiveness and the, the gift of the Holy Spirit by dying to your old self and being raised a new creation through baptism. I would ask that you would come forward. If maybe you're here this morning, you're already a baptized believer. You're someone that just needs to get plugged into a church body. You want to make Paradise Valley your church home. We'd invite you to come. Will you please stand with me?